Thanks, Andrew. Uh, oh, good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's, it's great to be here. It's uh, great to be in church together. Amen. Uh, we've been doing a series that uh, CFC, or we're in the middle of a series actually, uh, uh, concerning our uh, core values. And, and one of our core values at Christian Family Church here, and core values indeed of the CRC uh, Movement International, is that we want to uphold and proclaim biblical truth. Amen? We want to be uh, known as a church that values highly God's Word. You know, we have um, just a couple of chickens at home that we've just, uh, we've just got there, a couple of silky chickens, I got them off Dave, and uh, they belong to uh, Laura and Josiah, and they're, they're growing uh, just amazingly quickly, and uh, it's, it's because they're eating good food, they're, they're, they're uh, on a good diet and, and they're growing. Uh, one of those uh, chickens is named Foofy, Foofy, and the other one is named Nighthawk. <laughs> They're a silky chicken, you can guess who named them. Um, which child named, named them? You know, uh, we, um, not only as uh, believers in Jesus Christ do we need God's Word to grow, but, our, but the world we live in, our nation Australia and the nations of the world need a biblical truth proclaimed. We are in, in Kids Inc. recently and doing a, a, a series on the Old Testament and we were looking at uh, Noah's flood and I was reminded that God at that time wiped out the world except for Noah and his family because he was so grieved in his heart. He, he was saddened, he was righteously ang angry at, the, at sin and, and sin, sinful humanity and you and I, outside of Jesus Christ, are under God's judgment. We're objects of, of His wrath. And the only hope that our world has, and the only hope that each individual has, is to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And we are called, as a church, as Christians, to proclaim biblical truth, to teach biblical truth in church, in our fellowships, but also to proclaim it to the world. And this morning, I want to have a look at that. I'm going to be reading from Acts 17, verses 16 to 34, and I've entitled my message, Communicating Truth in Love. I may not get through this message, so I'll give you the four points straight up. We got, I, I believe God is, is wanting us today to become confident to know confidence in God's call, confident in the biblical message, confident in the Holy Spirit, confident in the gospel. We're going to, you can turn to Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. I'm going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you, Father, for your word, the Bible. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who has inspired the scriptures. I thank you, it's our authority, Lord, for everything we believe of you and know of you and it's for, for our actions in this life and I thank you Father, it's life to us, it, it enables us to grow. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that uh, you want to, us to proclaim truth, to be faithful, Lord, in the communities we live and to proclaim your word in Jesus' name. 
I thank you for this morning and words we've already heard. Lord, that you would continue to renew faith, Lord, in us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read. Let's read Acts 17, verses 16 to the end of the chapter. I'll mainly be in in, uh, those verses this morning, but I do have some other scriptures we'll look at. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. (laughs) Sounds familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, I'm not saying that correctly, am I? (laughs) And said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar to with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Could I just have Romans 10, verse 12 to 15, Laura? Thanks. This is what Romans 10, this is Paul writing in Romans. He says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach 
unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the Apostle Paul's heart that he knows he is sent by God and that we all believers, we all have a responsibility to proclaim, to share, to preach the gospel. Not all of us are called to be an upfront preacher, uh, to, to uh, talk to crowds, and, but we can all share the gospel in our workplaces, in our schools, just in the environments we are in. We are called, we have a responsibility. How can anyone believe unless they hear the message? And how can they hear the message unless someone hears the call and is sent? John 15, verse 16 to 17. I'll just have that up there. Thanks, Laura. Jesus said to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. This is my command, love each other. Jesus has chosen us. If you belong to Christ today, he has chosen you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And in, and, and in the, and the promise of Jesus to his disciples, as they did that and as they walked in love, they could ask whatever they wanted, whatever they needed for the task at hand. And the Apostle Paul is confident in the call of God and that he is sent to proclaim the gospel. In, uh, let's pick it up there, in verse 16, I'm back in Acts. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He's greatly distressed. Some, some translations say his spirit provoked, he's, he's grieved, he has, a, he has a heart for the true worship of God, that God be truly worshipped as he sees the idols. He has a heart for the glory of God and that people, that the people of the city of Athens might come to know Jesus Christ and worship God acceptably and know God, know his forgiveness and his love. And he's, he's greatly distressed, he's motivated, the call of God the realisation of the need for people to know the Lord's salvation motivates us, it motivates Paul to proclaim Jesus Christ and His resurrection. So what does he do? What does he do in response to this distress that he has? He goes and he reasons in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks. He goes and he reasons. He finds some people who are interested, who will listen to his message. And as Paul always does, he goes first to the Jews, the gospel being first to, to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But he finds those who, who might listen. There's a hint for us. We might be wondering how, who will listen to us. Well, let's look for those who will. And he finds those who will listen and he reasons with them. You know, we can't force people to listen to the truth we, can, we proclaim, but there are those who will listen, who will have interest. And he, he, uh, 
And his central message, he says a lot in this passage, but his central message gets to this quickly. He, he gets to the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. There in, uh, in verse 18 of uh, chapter 17. It's the reason he gets into trouble. It's because he gets to the central and core message that Jesus Christ has, has died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that on the third day He rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel that He, is, that he preaches. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 4. I think I've got that one there, Laura. Says that, yeah. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen to sleep. Then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And it goes on, and then he appeared also to me as one abnormally born. We know the Apostle Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. But he preaches the gospel that is according to the Scriptures, that is according to Old Testament Scripture, that is according to, the, to God's Word, the Bible. He has personal experience of it himself, having met the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But he, it's according to the gospel. And as we proclaim biblical truth to, in, in our world, as we proclaim biblical truth to uh, an unbelieving world, let's get to this message quickly. Let's get to the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. I'll get to that later. But we need to be confident in God's word, in the biblical message and Paul is, uh, is, is confident in God's Word. Andrew has um, given us, uh, over the last couple of weeks, some good reasons why we can be confident in God's Word. We, we're confident in its historicity, in its, in its record. We're confident that it's true. We, we, we can be confident in its mindset. And the Apostle Paul is confident in God's Word as he, as he shares the biblical message. 1 Peter verses 23 to 25 says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. The Word of the Lord stands forever. It's God's Word. And as we share God's Word with people, as we share the truth of Scripture, the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the Word and it's the, it's the Word of God that brings true regeneration, that brings a person to repentance and faith in Jesus. No matter what encounter we have, no matter what encounter we have with God, it's His Word 
that is at work in the heart of a true believer, bringing one to repentance and true faith in Jesus. That's why believers will love the Word of God. That's why as believers will have a desire to continue to grow in the Word of God because it's the seed of the Word, the eternal Word that stands forever, that, is, that brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be confident in this Word, the Bible. It's interesting to see how and consider how Paul goes about speaking to, in this situation to the, uh, in Acts 17. He's, uh, now, he's now taken to the uh, Areopagus and uh, he, there re- that's a, he reasons with um, the, uh, and talks and proclaims to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were there. My understanding is that this Areopagus it was a, is, a, is a court or a council that, uh, that was, had some uh, governmental power in days gone by, but by time of Paul, it was a council that decided, uh, at, that decided what was right and wrong when it came to religion and morals. And he's in this uh, situation speaking to uh, Greek people. And it's interesting to see that he actually adapts his uh, methodology a little. As you read Acts 17, you'll see that the Apostle Paul, when he, sp- when he talks to uh, the Jews, when he talks to people who know the Bible, know the Old Testament Scriptures, he reasons with them from the Scriptures, he quotes the Scriptures. But it's interesting, as we read uh, from in Acts, the passage we've just read, that he doesn't actually quote the scripture to the Greeks. They don't know the Old Testament scripture, the Bible doesn't mean anything to them and he actually doesn't quote from scripture. What he's saying though is thoroughly biblical and grounded in scripture. What he's saying comes from a deep understanding of of the Bible but he doesn't actually quote it. See, we don't always have to quote the scripture to speak the truth in love to unbelievers. We can be proclaiming truth, biblical truth, without them even realising it. There's, a, there's going to be a time, and there is a time to say, this is what the Bible says. But it, it, it strikes me that Paul didn't say that at this time to the Greek who were listening to him. I'm just going to read from the Scriptures here. Pick it up in verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this saying, trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Then they said, because Paul was preaching the good news, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship and even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. So Paul had walked around the city, he'd taken notice and he noticed that these guys are very religious and he takes an interest in their religion. And I believe he's honestly interested in them. He's actually takes an interest in, in, in where they're at and what, and what, they, what they're into. And uh, he actually has the command, as we do, of Scripture to go and proclaim the Gospel. But he's also gaining right for, to be heard. He's, he's interested in them. He takes an interest. That's something that we do as a church, really, with something like mops. We've identified an interest and a need, and, and, we, and, we, and, and the girls from Mops are sowing into that need, are, are, are genuinely interested in the mums and their lives and, and, and their families, they're genuinely, genuinely interested, and so they're gaining a right to be heard, to, uh, they're, they're gaining rapport to be listened to, and the Apostle Paul takes a genuine interest in their religion. He goes on. To say this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by man. Paul now is starting to sow a biblical foundation. He's, he's starting to, to address even questions and that the, that the uh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers have. The, uh, the Epicureans, they believed that happiness was the greatest goal in life. Happiness. Sounds pretty modern, actually. Happiness. Pleasure. That's what I'm going to live for. The Stoic guys, they believed in, in, uh, in masters of your own destiny. I'm the master of my own destiny. I'm going to live a disciplined, a disciplined life and deny myself. And Paul starts to address them and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not by served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else just in this he, he's proclaiming that it's God who's the creator of heaven and earth it's God he's not served by human hands he doesn't need you these guys are into multiple gods and trying to please them. And in this way, simply saying this, this truth, he's, he's, he's starting to hit home with some things that they believe that are, that are incorrect. He doesn't need your sacrifices. He doesn't need, you need him. You need him. He is sovereign, verse 26. Paul says, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God is sovereign. 
God is sovereign and he says simply, factually, the God. He doesn't actually say, I believe, in, I believe in God. We can say that, I know. I believe in God, but just simple facts. Simple biblical truth being proclaimed. God is my creator. God is your creator. These are things the Spirit of God can get a hold of in a person's life and use to bring revelation of who God really is. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He's the one who set the nations where, where, where we live. Verse 28. Oh, sorry. We're, we're, verse 20, 27. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. He's actually near. God is near. God is, God is gracious. He wants you to find Him. And as we're proclaiming truth and as we're sharing what we believe and, what, and, as, and as we share what the Bible teaches to people, we, we have this confidence. God is not far from that person. God wants that person to reach out to them. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as some, as some of your own prophets have said, we are His, we are his offspring. God is not far from anyone. In fact, God is involved in their lives. They just don't know it yet. For in Him we live and move and have our being. And the Apostle Paul takes from their culture, he's quoting their poets now. He's not actually quoting scriptures. He's finding something in their culture, something of their own poets and using it to say, The, the, tr one, the true God you need, the true God who's giving you life is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and says this, As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine nature is like gold, or silver, or stone, or an image made by man's design or, or skill. We should not think. A lot of people are thinking incorrectly about God. We often think incorrectly about God. And it's, it's the truth of the Scripture that we need to get back to and need people to hear often would be interesting to ask someone in conversation what they actually believe God is like and believe who God is and hear what they say. Listen to them, take interest. Because the God they, they, don't, they, they won't believe in, who you and I believe in, is probably not the same God. They've got a different God in their mind. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to, re to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. In the past, Paul says to the Athenians, God overlooked your ignorance. You see, God is being merciful. He is merciful. He hasn't brought you into judgment. 
the way he could have, but he's merciful. He's merciful to us, wanting everyone to come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. But now, but now he's commanding everyone, everywhere, to repent and turn to God. To repent and believe. That's to turn from sin from our own way and follow Jesus. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And we, we know that man is Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, without quoting the Scripture directly, has proclaimed God's creation. He's talked about God's creation. It's something we can all do and we must hold fast to and proclaim that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. God is my creator. God has made you. He values all. We're made in His image. And He has set a day when He will judge. See, He's communicated two things the Apostle Paul, he's communicated create, about creation and about justice, about what is right. Communication, uh, communication, um, cr creation and conscience. Creation and conscience are two things that, that God speaks to all people through. All people are aware of God because of the cre our creation God's creation and all people are aware of a moral law of conscience of what is right and what is wrong though that's through though that's uh, dismissed at times it is it is always there and as we simply share basic biblical truth and proclaim biblical truth to people we can be sure that God is speaking and God is, is, uh, is rousing them. It's, it's His work, not ours. My, my third point is confident in the Holy Spirit. We can be confident in the Holy Spirit. See, Paul, as he's uh, communicated about who God is, largely through just speaking of creation, speaking of who God is, and then he says, there is a day coming when justice will be done, when we will all be judged, and that man is our Lord Jesus Christ who will judge us. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction. It's the Spirit of God who brings conviction. John 16, verses 5 to 11 I'm just going to read that one. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks where you are going. Because I said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsel will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. We can be confident because God has sent us the Holy Spirit. But the, and as we proclaim and as we talk and as we share biblical truth, 
with our neighbours, with our schoolmates, with our friends, in our workplace. As we do that, it's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. It's the Holy Spirit. We're, we're called to be faithful and proclaim the Word and the truth in love. But it's the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can bring the conviction of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can bring the realisation that a person needs Christ's righteousness, that He is righteous alone and we need His righteousness. And only the Holy Spirit can bring a person to realise that we stand guilty before God and deserve His judgment. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We notice that when we read what Jesus and the Apostles preached and taught to an unbelieving world, they, did, they, they talked about a judgment to come. But we need to note carefully how they did that, and it's not my message today. But they talked about it matter-of-factly, just matter-of-fact, without sensationalism. They talked about it in a matter-of-fact, without sensationalism. God is going to judge. The wrath of God is coming. There is a heaven, there is a hell. When Jesus talked about hell, most of his descriptions about hell are given to disciples. If you read the context, they're given to disciples. When he talks about hell abruptly, he's talking to religious leaders who are self-righteous and, they, and think that they are right. He has some hard words to say to the Pharisees in the Gospels. I have heard it said that when we preach hell and when we talk about God's judgment, we need to do so with a tear in our eye. And we need to do so knowing that the people that I'm communicating the truth of the gospel to can sense in my heart and in my attitude and in the way I go about things, but by the grace of God, there I am going. But, but by the grace of God, there go I. I deserve God's punishment, but by the grace of God, He has brought me to saving faith in His Son, in our Lord Jesus Christ. We need wisdom from the Spirit of God when uh, communicating the truth. I'm not going to go there because we're out of time. But 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 2, I'll just put it up there. But it's a, it's a, direct, it's a direct word to, to, to wives, actually, how to win your husbands to Jesus. And it actually says, there's a time where we don't have to speak. There's a time to win, it's on there, there, that they may be won over without words, but by the behaviour, but by your behaviour, by your love for your husband. It's not a guaranteed promise, but, there is a, but we need wisdom in proclaiming biblical truth in the world we live. There is a time not to speak. And 1 Peter 3 verse 15 to 16 says that we're to be ready uh, we're to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. When anyone asks us, if someone asks us for the hope we have, 
But where to do that, the Bible says, with gentleness and respect. And so there's a way, there's a manner that we're to proclaim God's truth in the world we live. Uncompromising, yes. Sometimes without words, just waiting for the opportunity to come when words are appropriate. Always with gentleness and respect. We're to be confident in the gospel. It's not us, but it's God. It's His Spirit that brings people to repentance and faith in Jesus. Romans 1, verse 16, 17. Let's be confident in the gospel. It says this, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm just going to close. I'm just actually going to pray. I'm going to pray. My prayer is out of the book of Romans. And, it's, and I'm going to pray. It's a prayer. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the pro- proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.